Florida Matters is supported by WUSF members just like you. Your donation of $5 or $25 will help ensure public radio thrives. And thanks to Candy Olson, an additional $50 will be added to your donation. Visit WUSF.org match to maximize your gift today. This is a bonus episode of the Florida Matters podcast. I'm Matthew Petty. As Florida changed its black history curriculum and removed books from public schools, first-time Tampa City Councilwoman Gwen Henderson pushed back and opened a bookstore. Florida Matters visited Henderson at the bookstore she runs in Tampa Heights with her daughter Ariel. It's called Black English. The bookstore is bright, with high ceilings and walls decorated with colorful paintings. Bookshelves are dedicated to everything from poetry to business, the history of hip-hop and black vernacular. Because on that transatlantic slave ships, we lost our language. We lost our ability to communicate. And so our language is very, very diverse and colorful. And this explains that. And these books here have been curated to explain black talk, talking and testifying, and the soul of how we speak. A Marvin Gaye record sits on a turntable. James Baldwin looks down from a framed print. Henderson, who wears a ball cap covered in buttons, Delta Sigma Theta Sorority, Florida A&M University and others, says her mission is to elevate books by black authors, especially graduates of historically black colleges and universities, or HBCUs. I was reading an article, a reprint of James Baldwin's article, If Black English is Not a Language, Then Tell Me What Is. And it was written in 1977. And I said, that is the name of my bookstore, Black English. Henderson came up with the idea for the bookstore a couple of years ago while teaching an entrepreneurship course at Hillsborough County Public Schools. She created a business plan, started an online store, and in December opened the doors to her brick-and-mortar storefront. We sat down to talk about being an educator, books, politics, and her priorities for the district she represents. Well, Gwen Henderson, thank you so much for uh, speaking with us. Appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you for inviting me to have a conversation with you. Now, last year was big for you, right? You won election to the city council, and then you opened your bookstore, and we're conducting the interview in this bookstore. Uh, But before that, you were an educator for years. What made you want to run for office? Okay, well, correction. Let me just start off by saying last year was huge, gigantic, enormous, overwhelming, exciting. And I still am an educator, so that's the correction there. Um, It was... A very, very interesting ride, and I think it really has more to do with me being a mature woman, being in my late 50s, and not being afraid to take risk. Teaching the entrepreneurship course and discovering that I was not a risk taker was a little insulting to me. So I decided to take some risk, and as you can see, it's turned out pretty good for me. Mm -hmm. We'll talk a little more about politics in a moment, but first... Tell me about the bookstore. So you opened in December, right? Actually, um, the bookstore goes back a couple of years. Five years ago, I was the first educator to teach the Network for Teaching Entrepreneurship program in Hillsborough County Public Schools. And that was five years ago. But within that time, learning about entrepreneurship, three years in, I decided to write the business plan with the students. And I came up with the idea of a bookstore only because you have to solve a problem or meet a need. And I came across a picture of me in a bookstore that was ran by my sorority sister over by USF. It was called um, Books for Thoughts. Felicia Wentons-Taylor passed away in 2009. 
And I came across a picture of me in her bookstore with Beverly Jenkins, my favorite historical romance author. And I had an aha moment while at the same time teaching entrepreneurship. So I wrote a business plan with the students as an assignment to open a store two years ago. And I started slow. I opened a bookshop affiliate online, went on Facebook and told my friends, hey, I have a bookstore. It's called Black English and y'all should buy some books. And then I had an opportunity to do some pop-ups in locally here in Tampa with the Tampa Bay Black Heritage Festival. Um, the director of that actual festival graduated from Jefferson High School, so she gave me that opportunity. And then coming home from a council meeting, remember it was in the plan. I wrote a plan. The plan was the future plan on the slide when I presented it to the students said brick and mortar. I'm driving home from city council one day and this beautiful building four blocks from my home had a police sign in it and I had to take the risk. I knew I was ready as busy as I am. I knew that I was adding to my life, but it was just the perfect timing for so many reasons. Mm -hmm. Now the motto of the bookstore is free to read. Absolutely. That stems from uh, me taking care of my mother for six years. She recently passed away, but I came across paperwork and the paperwork was her birth certificate. And it just led me on this journey. And I discovered uh, my great, great grandfather. His name was Sam Hightower. He, um, it just broke my heart just to be brief. He was born into bondage. He died free. Um, in 1932, when my mom, my mom was born in 1931. So I was able to tell her a story. Mom, he lived in the house with you, according to the U.S. Census. But the U.S. Census revealed that he was unable to read and write. And that is something as an educator that just really, it just kind of shook me to my core. It kept me up at night. And we are free to read as a society now. We're free to read. And there is just so much behind that. Um, tagline that I created as the part of the business plan, but at the same time being the rebel that I am in saying that books are liberated here. You are free to read whatever you want. Mm -hmm. So I think somebody who doesn't know your personal story and your forebears and the kind of notion of somebody not having the opportunity to learn to read because of their circumstances, I think they may look at the bookstore and think, there's something political going on here. Like, is there a kind of a layer of politics as well in that motto? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, there has to be pushback uh, as an educator that works in the state of Florida when you're being told uh, that certain books are not appropriate for children to read. I know that there's a lot wrong with that. And so I have to push back on that at the same time as being an employee of Hillsborough County Public Schools. But opening a bookstore gives me the freedom to provide books that are actually liberated. As a black woman, I have no reason to use the word banned. I have no reason. Books are emancipated. They're free. And I am very happy to say that in this store and within this space because it just makes sense. Do you think you would have opened this physical bookstore, you know, even if there hadn't been that kind of climate that we've had around sort of what books can and can't be read in schools? That's a really good question. Because of the plan, yes, it was in the plan um, to open a bookstore. And I'm, you know, at the end of my career as an educator. And so this is a great, significant contribution to the community. You know what happened when you walked in, you and your producer walked in and you immediately just took to it, gravitated toward it with compliments. And that happens a lot. I knew 
um, that there was a need that I was meeting and this was the right opportunity. And politically, it just happens to be the right climate and right time to do it. Yeah, you've clearly put a lot of thought into how it looks. So, I mean, did, did some of this kind of just come together through happenstance or were you sort of thinking about how this bookstore <laughs> would look in reality those years? That is such a good question. And no reporter has asked me that before. I am an overachiever. And so the how this store came about in terms of how it looks, I, it, it looks like it's maybe effortless, but really it's just a collage of my personal life that's represented in the store and how I shop from Facebook Marketplace, my dining room table, the shelf um, that came out of the Sunday school class, the Sunday school closed at my church. I've had this in my house for years. The desk where I check out my uh, customers is the desk that I sat at as a high school student at Jefferson High School. And so um, they renovated the library and they got rid of that particular table by the dumpster because the leg was weak. And I called someone and said, come get this table. I cannot let them throw this away. And as you can see, it's a beautiful table. And it is an honor and privilege for me to check out my customers at a table that I sat in from 1979 to 1982 in, you know, in the library at Jefferson High School. So very intentional consignment shop pieces. The day that we moved in on November 1st, it was put it here, 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 here. I had envisioned everything. This store came together in 30 days because I'm very intentional. It's a part of my personality. Mm-hmm. What kind of response have you had to the store? You know, the, the physical location has been open a couple of months now. Like who's stopping by? What are they looking for? <laughs> okay. Well, okay. I'll tell you this. It has been an emotional journey in terms of the people that have entered this space, not just my supporters and friends. I had a grand opening, a private grand opening on December 1st. Every city council member came. The mayor's still upset because I don't know what happened to her invitation, but a lot of people um, in my neighborhood came. My sorority sisters, the national president of my sorority, just happened to be in town because there was a convention for black and white you know, fraternities and sororities. And she came to my bookstore opening. She and the vice, first vice president. So that coupled with just a very diverse mix of people, including some developers nearby. It, it was, it, trust me, it's been a really nice surprise who my customer base is. And I wished it that night, I wrote it in my plan, but I said it that first night that I want for my customer base to be as diverse as the people who are visiting the store for the, the private grand opening. And it has happened. It's been a really nice surprise. One of the things that was a surprise was my POS system where I check out that I use for checking out books. He asked me the night before the grand opening, he said, well, what's your goal? What's your goal for, you know, sales goal? I said, I don't have, I just want to pay the rent. You know, I just want to stay alive. I really, the finance piece, um, I don't want to say I would do it for free, but this is not my livelihood, and that's really good position to be in. I'm at the end of my career. And so I said, I don't have a goal. And the first three days, we made almost $18,000. Wow. I know. That's what I said. I was like, wow. And my daughter ran to me, and she said, Mom, we are booksellers. And I said, oh, my gosh, yes, we are. And so it was just really a nice surprise. And my goal really, it, it, I'm, I'm being very transparent right now. I said, you know what? It would just be nice if we just sold $200 worth of books a day. I literally said that. 
And I think it's just a, a very, you know, it is amazing because I know who my competitors are. And um, who are they? Well, it's, you know, the big A. I don't even want to say it, but <laughs> it's, we, we all, it's easy, you know, to go online and order a book. So the customers are very intentional people. They know that I'm going to be priced a little bit higher, but they want to support an indie bookshop. People travel to bookstores. I thought I was the only person that did that. So you have people seeking you out. People seek me out. I ask my customers, how did you hear about me? Mm-hmm. They say Instagram, but they also, oh, yeah, I Google, I come to indie bookshops or very intentional. I have met people from Minnesota, Washington State, Oregon, Austin, Texas, Connecticut. And here's the best part. I know this is funny because your producer is a a beautiful black woman, but uh, I've met snowbirds who are African-American and I live in Florida. So I said, said, okay, so check this out. I know that we have snowbirds in Tampa, you know, that come here and they have a place here, but I've never met the black ones. You know, you just don't, you just know it's a general term. I don't meet snowbirds, but couples have walked in here that actually own property in Florida close by and they have come in intentionally to shop at my bookstore. And I've also, um, because I had national news um, interview me, I've gotten phone calls and letters in the mail. That's been a nice surprise too. Some of them have checks in them. Some of them um, are just wishing me well, cards from all over the United States. And Arielle told me when I wasn't here one time, um, she said, mom, this couple came in and they just handed me $500 and told said buy some books for kids because I'm a teacher and I want to give books away, which is, you know, a part of my business model. And I experienced it already. There was a group of students with a wonderful organization. They came in. They didn't know that they were going to be picking out books that they got to keep. They thought they were just doing a little filming and photograph um, session here. But the way that they were very intentional about their decision was a beautiful thing to see. Mm-hmm. And then there was an aunt. She's just, I'm a favorite aunt. <laughs> this, this is really, I have to tell the story. So I'm, I am very intentionally the favorite aunt in my family. I, I do that by, you know, my wonderful personality. But this particular aunt t- came in the store and she said, yes, my nieces and nephews are behind me. Um, their parents are dropping them off and uh, I'm going to buy them their book for Christmas. There was 17 kids that walked in here, family, and the three teenage girls were literally discussing, okay, well, you get this, you get this, and I'll read, when you finish it, I'll read yours, because they could only get one book. And that was a very nice bill, um, you know, that I rang up that day, but watching the kids from ages four to 17 pick out books was just it just it just hit my heart so so much. It just brought me so much joy. It really did. Just seeing it, and the negotiation between the teenagers. So that's the reason you opened this place. That is the reason why the kids, the kids, the the couples. The, I call it field trips. So I can see three or four people get out of the car. The husband, the wife, two, three kids. That's happened a lot. Um, the emotional side for me is the dad who brings their daughters. And an eighth grade girl bought a book on mental health. So I said, is this for your mom? She said, no, it's for me. That blew me away. Uh, Or the daughter who had six books in her hands and her mother was like, no, you need to put a couple of those back. So I saw her go to her dad 
and she whispered, Dad, Dad, I, I can't. I have to have all of these. <laughs> and he, he said it. It's okay. It's okay. And he bought all the books. So when they left out the store, the mom went to the restroom, and I said, girl, I, I watched your daughter. I said, she... She is going to have the biggest diamond there is among her friends because she is not going to settle because she negotiated those six books with your, your husband <laughs> to get what she wanted. She said, girl, yes. She said, I'm pissed at her, but I also have a great appreciation that she is willing to fight for what she wants. <laughs> and I said, yeah. I want to turn now and talk more about politics. Okay. Um, sure. Have you always been politically engaged? You know what? Okay. In high school, I used to watch Ted Koppel, Nightline. Do you remember that show? Sure, yeah. Okay, I don't know why I used to watch that show as a teenager. I had to watch that before I went to bed at night. And then I, you know, went off to a historical black college in Tallahassee. Shout out to Florida a University. In high school, I was political. Yes, I ran for student government, you know, in that kind of, you know, secondary education way. Went off to FAMU. And Jesse Jackson was running for president. So just this slow process of who am I? Am I a Democrat? Am I a Republican? You know, am I liberal? Am I conservative? You know, where I fall in between those two is very interesting. So uh, more on the progressive side. So, yeah, I would say that I am political. So the district you represent, District 5, is majority black district. How much responsibility do you feel representing this district? And do you feel like you may get more scrutiny from your constituents than maybe other council members receive? Okay, well, that's a good question. I'm a neophyte, you know, councilwoman. I'm the 16th councilwoman uh, in the city of Tampa, number 16. And so my, my district is extremely diverse. Uh, East Tampa is a huge part of my district, um, but I also have you know, downtown Tampa and Channelside. So I have a very diverse district and I am the councilwoman. I just happen to be a black woman. So my, my, who I represent is the entire district. And that does come with not necessarily challenges. My focus is where I fall in the middle of that as an educated black woman with three college degrees who owns their own property and who had working class parents a stay-at-home mom and a dad who had a 10th grade education, who was the breadwinner until he passed away. So, you know, I have these diverse experiences that makes my point of view probably uncomfortable for some people. But at the end of the day, I'm going to make the best decisions possible for the community. And I will have done my homework, that's for sure. The election, too, was a bit contentious. Um, city investigation found the previous councillor, Orlando Goods, created a hostile work environment per that investigation. And that election was a little bit, I guess, bumpy in some ways. Do you feel like you have the community on your side in this first year in office? You know what? That, that election was not bumpy. Not for me. I settled in and I stayed focused. Yes, he was found to have created a hostile work environment. It's not a secret that that person that he created that hostile work environment for was related to me. But at the same time, that was not a part of my campaign focus. I stayed focused on the fact that, you know, I had an election to win that was district-wide. And I do believe that my competitor took me for granted. And so I think that that was to my advantage. So I, if, when I looked at the results, there were pockets of, you know, spaces uh, in the city within my district that I won that because I put the work in. And then, you know, also it was not, I, I had an easy time convincing people that I am ambitious and that I am a better option. 
And getting the endorsement of the police union didn't hurt considering that he was a 25 year police veteran that speaks for itself. And then getting the endorsement of the, you know, major newspaper in town and their write up. So there was a diverse um, opinions there uh, that I believe also helped support my victory. Some of the challenges facing Tampa and the district that you represent, uh, things that you campaigned on include affordable housing, jobs, development. What do you think the city needs to do to improve the lot of residents in those areas? That is, oh gosh, such a challenging question. Housing is a major struggle because of the cost. I feel so fortunate for myself as an educator, a single mom, I was able to buy a house 30 years ago as a single mom and an educator. This, this, is, this is two things that people would consider strikes, correct? But yet housing was attainable for me 32 years ago. And that's not the case anymore. It, 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 it's unnerving to know that a college graduate just uh, can't walk out of college anymore and stay with their mom for a little while, get their apartment, save their money, and move into a house. That, that, that just doesn't exist anymore. How people have to go about you know, saving for houses. They may have to go into a townhouse rather than a house. That it is, it's, it's a big challenge. And so the city's responsibility, where we have poured money into affordable housing, but it's not our sole responsibility. It, right. It, I mean, some of these some of these issues are a lot bigger than it's, the it's city of Tampa. It's bigger than the city. Hmm. And so um, saying this here on public radio is something that I would say to anyone. It is not the city's responsibility solely to address the housing concerns. We get to contribute to it. We get to map out a plan to say, you know, yes, we want people to be able to live, work, and play in Tampa, and here's a plan to do that. But at the same time, it also depends on the economy. And there are pockets, pockets of spaces that investors who have connections to Wall Street where they will buy up an entire block of a brand new development and control who gets into those properties. So those are things that we can't do anything about. That's the system and the, the um, th- that is how our society, we're a capitalist society, that's how it works. But yet we just have to keep grinding and doing the things that we can do to make housing attainable, but we can't do that alone. Mm-hmm. I want to ask too about some comments you made after a, a fatal shooting in Ybor City last November. Now you had some ideas about trying to make the place safer, including a temporary 1am curfew for businesses there. Yeah, they were mad at me about that. What do you think needs to change to address gun violence? And, and again, you know, what, what things could the city do to help there? I really, really felt like if we pulled back, when you think about gun violence, it is significant, not just in Tampa. It is a problem, young people having guns in their hands. The challenge in that is that it's not just about us. We are a tourist city. So when someone in Italy is saying, hey, what's happening in Tampa? Because there is someone traveling in, you know, from Tampa in Italy, and they're being asked that question because... Someone, a 14-year-old, has, you know, shot up the streets of 7th Avenue. It is something that we got to stop and pause and say, hey, we do we need to look at this? That's what I wanted to do. And I wasn't afraid to, you know, stand on that. Of course, you know, the folks came out and said what they needed to say about it. And it was clear that the votes were not going to be there to support a temporary abatement. Uh, I didn't say shut down Ebor permanently. I care about people having jobs and livelihoods, but at the same time, our children are on the streets with guns. 
and that is a problem. They're breaking into cars and getting guns that belong to citizens who have a right to these guns. And I don't know how we fix that, but some of the things that I was supporting, like, hey, let's study it and see what we can do, or the curfew for teens. Children have no business on the streets of 7th Avenue uh, at that hour. And I really just wanted parents to have the control. Hey, know where your kids are at night. And a couple of adults told me that the, every news station, we had curfews in Tampa, and every TV station would say, do you know where your children, it's 11 o'clock, do you know where your children are? And I was like, well, what's wrong with that? What's, what's wrong with parents having control? I had a curfew, I had to be home. And so um, a 14 year old with a gun was real. It was real. We can't pretend like it wasn't. And I support the safety of students as an educator. That's what's really important to me. How we go about solving a problem, there is no one correct answer. That was just a pinch of saying, you know what? If the kids are in the house, at least we don't have to worry about that. But the parents who um, are of a wealthier status. So, well, my kids are out and they're skating and they're having a good time and why should they have to be a part of that? They're not the ones with guns. You know, so it's just so many different opinions about it. But at the end of the day, I want children to be safe. How, do, how are they going to be safe is for parents to have control. And I'm not talking about every kid that's bad or good. I'm just talking about the safety of children at the end of the day. It, it, even a kid who, um, there was someone who, um, I think a four-year-old was shot in the car and things like that happened in our city and it's because someone had a gun. I just wish guns didn't exist at all, but you know, that's, that's I know that that's not gonna happen. What do you think you're gonna focus on for your second year on the city commission? The city council, um, you know what? Okay, so this is, I am eight, nine months in. Um, I'm seven months in, and people are asking me about what I'm gonna do next year. As a neophyte, let's see. Well, I am, um, I'm tackling the budget um, is one of the things that I'm focused on and how we go about addressing our social action funds. We are charitable as a city, but I don't, I think that there's some disparity there in terms of who gets those dollars, how long they get to get those dollars, why are the city supporting some organizations and not others? So taking a look at that is one of the things that I want to do, along with championing workforce housing. Also, the first black developed community where the enslaved folks were allowed to land in the palmetto thicket of what they created, Central Avenue. They called it the scrub, was that part of the community. It is being revitalized. There's some housing over there. There is a park named after Perry Harvey, the first black city council member. And so that is a very particular of interest to me um, to bring more arts and culture to that particular area. Central Avenue uh, had a lot in common with what you see on 7th Avenue today in terms of businesses. It was the, it was the economic hub of the black community. And so to bring that back is a major reason why I want to stick around for a little while because I would love to see some things highlighted and to bring some life and economic empowerment back to that area. And so there are some things in the works for that. I have a committee that I've created. There's um, an RFP that went out for a theater over in that space. The Tampa Bay History Center 
has the contract to manage St. James, which is the original church that sat in the center of the community. So that facility um, is now an event space and hopefully will become a history museum. So there's an opportunity there to create um, opportunities where people will travel uh, to come and see, you know, Central Avenue. So I'm really excited about that. Mm. And then as far as the bookstore goes, I mean, I know you're only, you've only just opened your doors for a couple of months now, yeah, but December 1st. how do you see this evolving over the next year or so? Well, this is so interesting. I recently applied for the Bink Foundation, which is a booksellers foundation, very charitable organization. They have a pilot program and um, I applied for it. They selected 10 to 12 bookstores. So they're going to be announcing that really soon. And that particular training and, and professional development required me to list some of the things that I would like to see for the store. And so the coffee shop, curating it for events. Also, um, there is a, a gift box that I would like to create. And because my company is focuses on historically black colleges and universities. There is a HBCU gift box that incorporates books that I um, am developing. So I think that because of me being a part of this first pilot program and wishing those things for the store, that hopefully I will have the resources and the professional development that, that will help me bring those things to light. Well, Gwen Henderson, thank you so much for speaking with me. I appreciate it. Thank you, Matt. Thank you so much for coming to the bookstore and checking it out. I appreciate it. Find more political coverage on our website, wusf.org. And throughout 2024, Florida Matters will be bringing you analysis of what the presidential election and other races mean for voters in the greater Tampa Bay region. Listen Tuesday nights at 6.30 on WUSF 89.7 FM or right here on the Florida Matters podcast. (music) 